Then sings my soul. From the depths of our hearts we cry out when we come under, I think, just a glimpse of the glory of God. Most clearly seen in the person of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say as you're turning this morning to the book of James chapter 1, as you're turning to the book of James, I want to mention to all of you who have um, consoled me and my family, supported us and encouraged us in the loss of my grandmother. She's gone on to be with the Lord, I trust. And many of you have sent cards, many of you have sent uh, flowers and Many of you came to the wake, to the viewing, and you came to the funeral, and you prayed, and so I want you to hear me today saying thank you to all of you who did that. I really appreciate that a lot. My family appreciates it. My mother appreciated it. She talked a lot uh, about all of you who visited, and so thank you. Thank you for that. The book of James, chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in... Our text this morning is going to be 16 to 18, but I'm going to be dipping back into the previous message, so let's start back there and just read beginning in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray together. Gracious God, eternal, invisible creator of the heavens and the earth, Lord, we bow in your presence this morning to thank you for this day. Oh, how we thank you for the collective church. You said not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, realizing the times in which we live and the Uh, the sin that runs rampant all around us and the remaining corruption that we have, we're instructed to meet all the more as we see the day of your return approaching. And certainly almost 2,000 years after your death, Lord Jesus, and resurrection and ascension into the heavens, we know that it is much closer now than when we first believed. And so we pray that your presence will come And that you will work in this place. And God we would ask that you would move in people's hearts. That may be unconverted. Lord maybe they're not born again. Regenerated. Maybe they're not saved. Maybe this morning they think they are. And yet maybe they truly are not born again. Oh God I pray. That you would come. And with your great spirit. In connection to your infallible word, you would give life. I pray that you would grant this morning that some in this room may repent and turn away from their sins 
and turn away from their rebellion and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and the Lord of their life. For those who are born again, regenerate, blood-bought believers, this morning I pray that you would feed us, that you would reawaken faith, that you would, that you would strengthen our faith through your word and by your spirit, and that you would transform us and change us and help us today to rejoice in you, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever experienced that awkward moment (laughs) when you just knew that you were right about something, but you were wrong? (laughs) My wife experiences that often. Oh, I meant to say me, me, I do. It's very awkward at times we can be, (laughs) we can be very, we can be brought pretty low at times when we just know that we're right about something. I mean, we have got this. And and there's this thing called Google now. And my wife has this tendency when we're talking about things such as this, she'll pick up that thing and she'll say, well, let's just see real quick. And I'm going, I don't really know for sure. (laughs) I hope I'm right. And there can be some awkward moments later on when we would discover that we were actually wrong. Well, that's one of the reasons that God has given us his written word, the Bible, because it serves to correct us when we just know we're right about something, but we actually have it wrong. And God has revealed in Scripture the plight of humanity. The reality of the condition of the human race is that we are, apart from the work of God's grace in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, That we are actually spiritually dead. We are spiritually blind. We are lost. And this is a great misconception of our world and of people within this world. We believe that we can fix ourselves. (laughs) We believe that we can do something and we can make our we can make ourselves better and by making ourselves better we'll be acceptable with God but that's not what the bible teaches and here god reveals to us through the instrumentality of james so many years ago as he picked up pen to to write that there are two mistakes that we often make that he wants to correct And so I want us to start this morning by thinking about the nature of a good God overflows in giving good gifts. That's the main title of the message. The nature of a good God overflows in giving good gifts. But let's deal with these two misconceptions that we have or two, a double mistake that James deals with through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I said to you that we would have to dip back into last week's message, and this is the reason why, because we have to go back there to find the first one, which we've already dealt with, but I just simply point out again. Last week, we learned that we, as human beings, cannot blame shift our guilt in sin upon God, or anyone else for that matter. We can't blame our sinfulness on Satan, We can't blame our sinfulness on God 
And we can't blame our sinfulness on other people. We must take responsibility for our own sins. That's what James is saying in verse 13 when he says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For, or because, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any person. And so God is not the author of sin because, first of all, God's holy, perfect nature He always, when he acts, he always acts rightly. He always does what is right. He always does what is just. He never does anything that is not right. He is perfectly holy and just and righteous and altogether good. And therefore, he does not tempt us, James says, to do evil because God is perfectly holy in his character and nature, and therefore he cannot even be tempted with evil. He has, as we mentioned last week, no inner inclination to do what is wrong. None. And therefore he does not try to incite that in us. Rather, James says, that sin comes about from our own desires. We look and we see... And we hear about things and we have an inner inclination that desires sin, evil, and rebellion against God. That's what we learned last week. And so the first wrong or misconception that we often formulate that God in his word is breaking in our lives in our hearing this morning is that God is the author of sin and therefore we can shift the blame of sin in our lives to God. James says that's a misconception, that's a mistake. We cannot do that. In today's text, what we're discovering that we often make the mistake or make the assumption or think that we're right about is that we can take the credit for our own personal goodness. We can't blame shift our sin to God. We're responsible for that. And we can't blame and we can't take the credit for our personal goodness or anything good that we enjoy. Very often we want to look and say, well, you know, look at what I've done. Look at, look at this goodness that I have, that I possess. And God says, no, you need to understand That your sin is yours. God's not the author of it. And your goodness is not yours. God is the author of it. So that's what we're going to try to unpack in this text. In other words, the good things that we enjoy, as well as our goodness that we have and express in our character and selves, does not originate with us, but rather comes to us as a gracious gift from God. That's what he says in verse 16. Do not err. Don't be deceived. Don't have this misconception. Your sins can't be blamed on God. He reaches back. Let me give you a little parenthesis here. You read a text in its, see if you can finish the word, context. So when I read that, do not err. God is not responsible and the author of sin. 
do not err. In its other context, on the other side, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down to us from the Father of lights. Every good gift comes from God. And those gifts that God gives are a reflection of the character and the nature of the giver. If you're a bad person, you do bad things. <laughs> if you're a good person, you do good things. That's the way we think, right? It's pretty logical. God is the essence of goodness. And therefore, as a good God overflows from him every good gift and every perfect gift. So everything that you and I enjoy this morning, do you like breathing? It's God's. Do you like your clothes on your back? They're God's. Do you like your family? They're God's gifts to you. Do you like the gathering of the church as I prayed? Thank you, Lord, for the collective church where we can come together and worship, where we can come together and be equipped for the work of the ministry, where we can come and support one another, pray with and for one another, lift up holy hands to God and praises to Him. It's a gift from God. Everything. Do you like your job? Some of you do. That's a gift from God too. Do you like health? That's a gift from God. Everything that comes to us is a gift because we are not the originators of creation. Who of you made a star or the sun or the moon? Any of you? Can any of you take credit for making yourself? We have a misconception in American culture that says that I am my own, I am the originator of myself and my destiny. That's not true. God is. Because God is the giver of all good things. Everything we enjoy in life has been graciously given to us. That's what John the Baptist said. And John, in the, in the gospel, according to John chapter 3 and verse 27, he said a very powerful statement. John said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So I did not, I don't have a wife and children this morning. I don't have a little place over on the Willowbrook Road. I'm not the pastor of this church. I didn't have a good granny who went on to be with the Lord the other day, but from God. All of those and everything that I could name that I didn't name and everything that you can think of this morning, it comes from God. God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. James says they come down to us from the father of lights in verse 17, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When he calls him the father of lice, this is clearly speaking of him as the creator of all things. As expressed in the majestic lights of the heavens. The one who made the stars and placed them in their positions. The one who made the sun and the one who made the moon. This is the one from whom we receive all good and perfect gifts. But James says that not like those lights that grow dim... And change and burn out 
God never changes. There is no variableness. There's no shadow of turning or turning due to change. God is good through and through, James is saying. Your sin didn't come from God. Your sin and temptation comes from you because you have and I have a nature that is sinful. We have inner inclinations to sin and act wrongly and rebel against our creator God. But God is good through and through and every good gift and perfect gift comes from him because he never changes. The writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. He's the father of lights. God never changes. His character never changes. His nature never changes because he is good and perfect and altogether lovely. And his word never changes. This is the reason that we are a Bible people. Because we change. We have variations, don't we? We can feel good one moment and terrible the next. (laughs) We can feel happy one moment and sad the next. We can be a person who has a, a strong belief in God and faith in God. And the next minute, we're tempted. As we've learned from the book of James, we are tempted and and the, the trials of life come against our lives and our faith is challenged. And sometimes we feel very near and dear to God. And other times we feel distant from God. But unlike us, God never changes and the word of God never changes. And so what we need to do is we need to have something in, the, in our lives. We need to have something in our homes. We need to have something in our local church that is there as objective truth. That keeps us from being blown away from side to side. As James says, the double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways. Verse 6, like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. So the word of God, as God himself, never changes. Never let a person tell you that we could add to or take away from the revelation of God in this book. It is the infallible and errant word of God. And that's going to become important here in just a moment. So the word is also a gift from God. Now, he says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So he's the good God who gives good gifts. And so God further reveals in verse 18 that not only the general good comes from God, but specifically the Christian's regeneration comes from God. Now, There's a word you need to wake up on. Regeneration. What does it mean? Regeneration. Let's pretend that as you leave this morning and go out the door, 
I'm going to ask every one of you to tell me what the definition of regeneration is. You'll listen, right? That way you can repeat it. So you say, Kevin, it better be simple because I have a short memory span. Regeneration means that you become a new spiritual creature. Can you say that? A new spiritual creature. This is what James says. Not only does God give good things like the sun, the moon, the stars, like family, like health, like church, like water and food. He gives all those good gifts, everything that you call good, God gives it. But he says specifically something else comes from him, namely this, your regeneration, your new spiritual creation. You must be radically changed. Christianity is not about outward conformity to religious principles or laws. It is about a radical transformation on the inside of a human being who is fundamentally evil and wicked and corrupt to having spiritual life. To where a person who is dead in their trespasses and in sin is quickened and made alive with God. A person who is blind and cannot see it can now see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is a person who is lost. Lost people don't find themselves, do they? They must be found. This is the mistake that I fear thousands upon thousands of churchgoers are believing. That if I make a reformation in my demeanor and in my behavior, I will become acceptable to God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus, in John chapter 3, talking to a religious leader, this man knows the law. He knows the word of God. He lives a good moral life. His name is Nicodemus. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. Nicodemus scratches his head and says, well, how am I going to do that? I'm an old man. Shall I somehow enter again into my mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. There needs to be a spiritual transformation of the core of your being. So radical, so life transforming that it is called new birth. Born again. So that a person who is spiritually dead is made alive. A person who is spiritually blind can see. A person who is lost in the wilderness of sin is found. Now let me ask you this. Do you find yourself? Take your head like this. No. Do you cause yourself to be born? Take your head like this. Do you cause yourself to see if you're blind? Answer, no. 
Every good gift comes down from God. Generally and specifically, the Christian's regeneration comes from God. This is what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who sits in church. As the old saying goes, no more than if you go and stand in the garage for an hour, you become an automobile. Sitting in the church, listen to me, reading your Bible is good, but it doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been born again. A Christian is someone who has spiritual life. Do you have it? If you don't have spiritual life, you're not a Christian, even though you may call yourself one. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. If you want to turn, you can. If not, just listen and jot this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if you are, If you are in Christ this morning, he is a new, you read it, creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Who has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So you're made a new creation in Christ. How? says all things are from God. He and James see eye to eye. When James says in verse 18, I didn't read it yet and I go back to it now to read it. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. You must be born again. Of his own will God brought us forth. Born again. He gave birth to us. By the new birth, a believer is recreated, given a completely new nature that does not have a part in sin or rebellion against God, His Word, and Jesus Christ. And this is the fundamental misconception that we can take credit for that. Which is clearly given to us by God the Father. You don't earn it. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. But you can receive it as a gift from God by faith. And you cannot and I cannot take credit for that good gift from God. The the indwelling sin, we should take credit for that. (laughs) If you're inclined to do something that's rebellious against God, it is you. And just as that sin, James says, when it is conceived, when it gives birth, it brings forth death. So the gracious gift from God, when it gives birth, it produces life. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2. If I'd love for you to look at this one with me. 
And I think he will help to clarify this even further. Not to mention, I want to give some scriptural underpinning to what I've said. He says in Ephesians 2, and in verse 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you hath he quickened. Now, what does the word quickened mean? Huh? Made alive. Okay, now here we have, so if you have to be made alive, you were first dead. So now here we have a person. He says, you, the church at Ephesus, hath God quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now here's what it is. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So there's a spirit at work. There's a disposition of the heart that is categorized, according to Paul, as disobedience to God. Verse 3. Among whom also we had our conversation. In other words, we all did this. We were all in this category. Fulfilling in times past in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were, listen to this, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So the very nature, Paul says, our very nature is that we're children of wrath. But I love verse 4. Don't you love those two words? But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened and made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The fundamental problem with the human race cannot be solved by anything that we outwardly do. But only by the operation of God on the inside that the Bible calls new birth or regeneration or the transformation to give spiritual life. To a person who was spiritually dead. No external ritual. John MacArthur says. Ceremony. Rite. Profession. Or action. That can change, can change that basic evil nature. He cannot become righteous by acting. By trying to act righteously. Or talk righteously. He needs an entirely new heart, a new nature, a new being. He needs to be recreated, changed from his old nature of sin and death to a new nature of life. 
And James says that that work is God's work. Of his own will begat, gave birth to us. He gave birth to us, brought us forth is the literal translation. Of his own will, he chose to bring us forth to give us life. Now, we must ask one final question. What is the divine means of the divine change? What is the divine means of the divine change? It's two ways. You can put one, two. Number one is right here in our text. With the word of truth. The word of truth. This is exactly what I was referring to earlier. This book is the revelation of God himself. It is the revelation of his plan of redemption. And it teaches us the good news of Jesus Christ. The word of truth. The word of the gospel are synonymous in the New Testament. So that when you hear the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And rose again from the grave. That is the word of truth. The word of the gospel. Through which God gives birth to his Paul says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Paul also writes to the church at Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. If you wanted to turn, let me read this verse to you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. And this is where we'll get an extra word. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. There's one word. The Spirit and belief of the truth. If you were to turn over a few more pages to Titus chapter 3, you'll find it again. Titus chapter 3, you see this double-sided coin. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration. What, What would you call that? The new birth. Regeneration. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy ghost so when you put these all together what you find is a double-sided coin on the one side you have the gospel word of truth that comes to the external ears of the human being you listen here today and you hear me say that all people are sold under sin we sin by nature because we're sinners by nature and by choice all we like sheep have turned away from a gracious and good god who has given us life And God then sent his only begotten son into the world to die for sinners and rise from the grave and ascend into heaven. And God is sending forth the gospel message out of people's lips like mine this morning. Telling you that you need to repent and acknowledge your sinfulness. Acknowledge your helplessness and repent and turn away from sin and trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And you hear that word of Christ in your ears. But God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, the word of truth and the work of the Holy Spirit 
brings forth spiritual life and transformation and change so that you can be born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, why? Why? One more question. Of his own will begat he us through the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And let me just leave you with that phrase with one more text from the book of Romans. Almost done. The book of Romans, chapter 8. Why is he doing this? Because what was destroyed in Adam, Jesus Christ is going to purchase back and recreate. And even better. So when, when James says that we're like a first fruit... What he means is when you harvest the crops God had put in the law when he spoke to Moses and the people of Israel, he said, I want you to bring the first fruits to me. They are holy to be mine. And these first fruits are representative of the crop that is coming. And these first fruits, James says, is what we are. The regenerate, the born again, blood-bought children of God. We are the first fruits of God's creation. I believe he's saying exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verses 19 to 22. He says, For I reckon, or I consider, you didn't know there was a West Virginia word in the scriptures, did you? See that word? I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. What are they waiting for? For the creature, the created order, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So as we're set free to live in an imperishable body, in a glorified world and heaven forever, all of creation will be delivered from their bondage and subjection to futility, to the glorious liberty of us as the children of God. He says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And so, as believers, James is saying, we are the first installment of the new creation of God that is coming at the return and glorification of Jesus Christ and of His first fruits of his blood-bought, born-again children. So now let me, let me ask you, do you feel in your heart today, based on what you experience in your daily life, that you have been born again, that you have been regenerated, that there has been a fundamental change at the core of your heart, that you have that you love God and you love the word of God and you love Jesus and you are, you are a person who has been radically transformed from someone who was inclined continually toward your own desires and way to desire the way of God as he has revealed it in his word. If not, that I simply ask you to do this. I simply ask you, Would you not today 
Say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Do you recognize it? Recognize it. And I want to turn away from my sins. And I trust in Jesus. And I pray and ask you to do a work in my life in the core of who I am that I cannot do on my own. Could you ask him to do that? Do it today. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God and you overflow as a fountain from your very nature in giving good gifts to your creatures. Specifically, according to this text this morning, you give the gift of new birth. You give the gift of a regenerated spiritual life. And I pray that you would speak it into hearts today. And I pray that you would help us as those who are recipients of this gracious gift. I pray that you would help us to offer to others. Help us to preach and teach and declare and share the word of truth. The word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That others may repent and believe as well. God, we thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.